Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 105. I wanted to let everyone know that once again, Josh is out of town, this time for different reasons. Before it was for a a family vacation, now he is in Austin, Texas. Uh, I believe he's an assistant director on a film that is shooting there. So I think probably the next couple of episodes, um, I think he is going to be sitting those out. Uh, however, he and I did record three minisodes uh, in one day for like the two days that he was in town. So, uh, so okay. Listeners, I want to take you back. I want to take you back to when I lived in Denver, <laughs> 1992 to 1998. Uh, my, I'd say primarily my brother was friends with a guy named Jarrett Lamaster, uh, who I knew had moved out to Los Angeles uh, years ago, um, and I kept thinking, "Oh man, I always, I always like Jarrett. Let's let's try to reconnect." And it didn't really work out until a, cu- a few months ago, uh, probably about six months ago now. Um, I happened to run across Jarrett at Disneyland, and I said, "Hey!" And I looked at him, and he looked at me, not knowing why I was looking at him. And uh, I looked, admittedly, a little bit different than I used to. And so I'm sure he thought some weird guy was just staring at him and his, and his uh, lovely family. And, uh, but I identified myself, and it was very exciting. And so, uh, and he has a new movie out right now called Turnaround Jake that we're going to talk about. But first, let's welcome in Jarrett Lamaster. Jarrett, how yeah. you doing? Hey, doing great, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. This is so cool. It's nice to see you. Again. Dude, nice to see you. <laughs> crazy you do look admittedly you do look different <laughs> yeah i mean i am yes i i've acquired glasses a beard and 15 more years of right. life i think you were like 12 when we talked before uh, so that's yeah. entirely possible yeah <laughs> so okay <clears throat> so we got a lot of you know uh, a long way to go in a short time to get there um I don't know why I'm referencing Smokey and the Bandit. That's a function of Jimmy Pardo. Thanks, Jimmy. I, I appreciate that. Um, okay. So let's, let's get some biographical details. Uh, I won't even say out of the way because we might actually dwell on them for a short time. Uh, Jarrett, where are, you, where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from Massachusetts. I was born in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Okay. And uh, we moved around a bit when I was younger, mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of landed in Littleton for a long time, like nine years, formative years, important years, high school years and Absolutely. junior high years. Yeah. So those were kind of like the, that's kind of like the hometown, I guess, Denver. It does. Yes. I, I feel <laughs> the same way to a certain extent. I don't necessarily refer to it as my hometown, but yeah, a number of people, when I say that I'm from California originally, they don't believe me. 
they don't think I'm a liar or anything, but they say, I thought you live, I thought you're from Denver. Right. And they said like, you seem more like you're from Denver than California. Yeah. I would say that's definitely true. You kind of have a Denver vibe, <laughs> but you guys came from Glendale, right? Didn't you originally? Uh, no, we lived in, uh, the Bakersfield area oh, and then Bakersfield. Ventura. Okay. And then, uh, and then Denver for a little while and then Missouri, then Chicago. And now back here. Yeah. You and, guys were like us. We were all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but it is, it is interesting. And, but that's the key is those formative years. I was there mm-hmm. from age uh, 10 to 16. And that's kind of when your identity really starts to, to yeah. change. Yeah. So you kind of were there at the same, at the same part of your life that I was. Yeah. So, okay. So you had probably a very similar experiences. That's funny. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah. Um, so you were raised in a Christian household. Yeah. Now, of course I, I know all of this cause you're parents were friends with my parents. So like, again, <laughs> listeners, we, we go back a, a ways. So I know all this, this is for the listeners. So you were born in a, you were raised in a Christian household. Um, at what age did your faith become a real thing for you? Like an actual, like I, I always believed in God and I always believed in Jesus like that. I just sort of took that for granted, but it became a real interactive thing. Probably when I was 14 ish. Sure. Um, what about you? I would say it was, I mean, I was a little earlier than that. I had a couple of crucible moments, like a couple of experiences that were really important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, obviously grew up in Sunday school, you do all that stuff. I always believed it. My grandfather was a a Nazarene evangelist Mm -hmm. and minister. (laughs) So we kind of grew up around to do like it was, and, um, always believed it, but it really became real. Let's see in June, junior high, okay, probably. And then early high school, I had a really great, um, kind of upper room experience, um, mm-hmm. in El Paso, Texas, <laughs> where, where I really, was that, that was on the, a mission trip? <laughs> yes, it sure hey, was. I, I went to El Paso on some missions trip. <laughs> Into oh, Juarez? Oh, that's yeah, interesting. That's Through DFC? Yep. That's awesome. Um, well, you know, it's funny cause in that church that we slept in, mm-hmm. There was a green room upstairs. It had kind of, I don't know if you remember that room. I do. Okay, well, that's interesting. You're the first person I've ever talked to that remembers that room. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Jared Dreyer preached a sermon about heaven, and we listened to Wayne Watson and Sandy Patty after that, which mm-hmm. was like, you know, it wasn't even cool back then. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you, it hit us. And like the Holy Spirit fell on that place, man, and it was great. And the Holy, and, I mean, the Holy Spirit just was revealing Christ to me. I was probably 13, maybe 14. He was showing me Jesus on the cross. Um, so that's kind of like the big moment for me when I realized it was like two hours, dude, I was just like weeping and the Holy spirit was just like dealing with my sin. And I was like confessing my sin and, um, before him and dude, after that, it just felt like, um, I was a new dude. I was a new, I was a different person. Mm -hmm. I was kind of set. Uh, I had a purpose. I knew that, um, I was his, um, and from there I'd had different moments in worship over time, um, right. where God has just really revealed himself. Um, mostly gosh, you know, I've learned how to be obedient and that's been kind of where I've experienced most of the revelation of God. But, um, but yeah, dude, it's been a, it's been an interesting road and it kind of started there. It was authentic there. I, I veered off a couple of times, made a lot of stupid mistakes. And then God has just continually been removing sin and removing things and giving me purpose and giving me hope and, you know, giving me himself, you know, who would have thought Jared Dreyer of all people. <laughs> you remember have, Jared? I know Jared. <laughs> I'm still, I'm awesome. still uh, a lot of the people that I was friends with and that I somewhat keep in contact with are, are good friends of his now, which is okay. like uh, Nate Noe and Mark Gilman and all that. Okay. But, uh, that's, you know what? That one's just for you and me. Listeners have no idea who these people are. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, everybody. totally. Again, I haven't seen uh, Jared in a while. So, okay. 
raised in a Christian household, uh, a real sincere Christian, uh, th- pretty pretty much the moment you became kind of a teenager, age 13-ish. Yeah. Um, so at what age... Well, okay, let me ask this, because this is something that I ask uh, uh, guests uh, on the show. What was the... The attitude in your house regarding, like, art, for example. Uh, the reason that I ask is because a number of people, I, I certainly know that I have known my fair share of people who grew up in a Christian household, and art was something uh, to be suspicious of. Mm-hmm. Um, something that, uh, not, and I'm not merely talking about discernment and just trying to, you know, guard you know, guard yourself and that sort of thing. Literally just, okay, it's probably bad. So you should avoid it if you can as much as possible. Uh, that thankfully was not my experience. Uh, was that your experience at all? I don't, I'm not asking you to speak ill of your parents or anything. No, no, that wasn't my experience. Um, I think early on my parents were kind of um, suspicious of the music I was listening to. I mean, honestly, I was listening to like ACDC and like those, those bands, which everybody likes. Um, but uh, admittedly I did listen to some nine inch nails on the way over here. Ah, uh, excellent. Yeah. I still, I it's still been a listen. long time, I but enjoy them. I was really into those guys for a long time. Yeah. Um, so my parents were a little bit worried about that, but other than that, you know, they were always extremely supportive of the arts. Um, mm-hmm. cause my, my, my path was, was interesting. I was a kind of an athlete and then I, I ended up kind of starting to do theater in high school. And so I was, I was a busy dude in high school. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like theater, football, theater, baseball, um, theater, you you know, youth group, um, Uh. baseball, football and, um, choir and, you know, girlfriend. And, um, so it was like, there was no time, there's no downtime. So my parents were driving me to everything and they would do that and we'd build sets and, and then, you know, go to football practice and go back for rehearsal. And then, so my parents were always kind of, uh, supportive of all that. And, and I was, you know, I kind of had a, I, I was a musical theater person for a long time and, mm-hmm. um, singing and, and that sort of thing. My mom was always extremely supportive of all that. She loved it. She was a singer and a, and a great piano player too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she always wanted me to kind of have that, um, have that background. Uh, and my sister too. She like loved that about our, you know, about our family that we sang together and stuff like that. So, it was always kind of part of our lives um, yeah. and um, ended up becoming something that I was so interested in that I wanted to do yeah. um, that I felt like called to. It might become my vocation, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, but it was always a supportive environment for that sort of thing. And I'm sure it freaked him out later on in college oh, sure. when I decided to be an actor, you know. But even then, they were like, okay, great, Jared, you know, do this, we'll help you. Well, yeah. and I'm sure that I'm sure that uh, freaks out a number of parents, Christian or not. Yeah, just oh boy, so you've chosen to uh, be homeless, not make any yeah, money right. for <laughs> a living. Right. That's that's interesting. Yeah, um, but uh, so so you said that you did theater. It sounds like you were there primarily from an acting standpoint. Um, were yeah. you in, were you ever interested in in writing or directing or anything like that? I wasn't until probably about seven or eight years ago, and that's when. So I, I had never really thought about writing. Mm-hmm. I had written a few things, but, um, you know, just didn't really think much about it. Then I started kind of working on that, started realizing that if I wanted to do things um, the way I wanted to do them, I had to start making my own stuff. That's how it goes. It is, right? Uh, yep. And so that's what happened. So my first short film that I that I produced was in Spain and because mm-hmm. um, I had some friends over there and they had a production company and they're like, yeah, come over, use our stuff. So we shot this short film and... 
Um, and what was, was that cool. called? It was called the pursuit. The pursuit. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was fun, you know, like we had a bunch of Spanish actors. We had a bunch of British actors. We had me and I played a British guy and, you know, it was, it was fun, man. It was basically a running through Madrid. Oh, wow. Um, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Finding my daughter. So that's kind of what it was all about. Um, really it was about, uh, the parable of um, the lost sheep or, um, the parable of the last coin. So like on a, I guess on a macro level, hmm. it was about that. Um, uh, so, you know, God pursuing us is what it was about, Yeah, but it was really kind of a, kind of a born identity action film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so run, like, run, Jarrett, run. Yeah. Run, Jarrett, run. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Yeah. I, uh, I, I had much the same experience. Uh, I really, I mean, I wrote like stories, incredibly mm-hmm. gory stories when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, not the least of which was my 60 page opus Sasquatch <laughs> about Bigfoot, who is, uh, uh quite lethal. Oh, that's so, wonderful. By the way, I was in a movie called, they call him Sasquatch. That's right. Yes. Yeah. I looked up your so, filmography and uh, it's, Hey, you know, it's, it's embarrassing. Later, yeah. <laughs> we, all, we all encounter Sasquatch. Um, uh, yeah. Somewhere in there. Uh, an untapped resource horror wise. I think, I think there's probably a really good, Slightly uh, mid-level budget horror film to be made out of uh, the Legend of Sasquatch. Oh, That's I agree. neither here nor there. I agree. So, uh, but yeah, and but the reason I got into any kind of dramatic writing was because I did drama at church, mm. and so it's like, all right, well, let's look at all these Christian uh, drama books, all these skits and stuff. You f- you leaf through them, maybe there's one or two that is like actually good. And then myself and I don't know if you remember uh, Tyler Gunstream. Yeah, I love uh, Tyler Gunstream. Yeah, we decided. All right, all right. Uh, these are terrible. Uh-huh. We're just going to write our own from now on. That's awesome. And uh, and then I realized, oh, and the first time, the first time something I wrote, literally the contents of my brain were up there on the stage, and uh, you know, I mean, we went to a large church. There were thousands of people, and thousands of people were seeing the contents of my brain up on the stage. I was really hooked. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I enjoy writing quite a bit. Yeah, it's amazing how the bug kind of it bites you. <laughs> man, oh man, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, and, that, and so it's, it's odd. And that happens a lot is a lot of people become writers and directors from being actors and not being happy with the material they're given. Yeah, dude. It's like, you know, bellhop number one. And you're <laughs> like, yeah. uh, which floor, Sarah? Yeah. You know, no, whatever. Jared, there are no small parts. They're just small actors. Right? <laughs> So I've um, heard that. I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. It is not true. So, um, <laughs> there are indeed small parts. Yeah. There's small parts that, yeah. you know, there's one liners. Come on. Yeah. I, I, my first part, uh, was in look homeward angel. I played a, it was a five line role. Ooh. I did what I could, but I was gone after five lines. So there's only so much impact you're going to make That's, anyway. <laughs> so true. So, okay. Uh, now let me ask you this. So what was it about, uh, acting that, attracted you did you did you watch did you watch movies and television growing up uh yeah i think that looks good to me i think i want to try that okay can i be honest with you i just came up with this answer like a week ago okay all right because i really you know now when you say came up with well this a lie i just lied yeah yeah i just came up with this lie this yarn okay uh no i um okay so there's it's a complicated you know, reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a lot of people use acting as a, as an escape. Yeah. A lot of people use it as a form of expression, which I do. Um, I think it's definitely a form of expression for me. Um, I think originally though, it's because I was the kind of guy, okay, let me tell you a quick anecdote and then I'll get to, All I'll right. get to this. 
I had a boss tell me about maybe 10 years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, pulled me into his office and he was like, Jarrett, you need to focus on one thing and do it well. Mm-hmm. That's how you're going to make a difference in the world. And then uh, he fired you. And I, <laughs> I walked out of that room and I said, I'm going to do 10 things well. And that's always been the type of person I am. Mm-hmm. So even when I was a kid, I would look at all these different jobs. I look at all these different things. And I'm like, there are not enough lives in the, in, in my lifetime to be able to do everything I want to do in the world. So what I can do is I can pretend to be those people. (laughs) I can do these things. I can, I can, I can imagine what it's like. I can get in the mind of a person who, you know, is in the 1930s and in, you know, in the depression or whatever, I I can get into that person's experience or I can get into this person, an astronaut's experience, or I can do an archaeologist's experience, you know, Indiana Jones. It's very unlikely I'm ever going to be the king of England, but exactly. But I can play it on TV. Yeah. I can play a dentist on TV, but I can't, you know, so for me to go through dental school, right. And you just imagine what it's going to be or a doctor or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, you imagine what it would be like. You imagine what it would be like to be one of those you know, not just jobs, but types of people. Yeah. I just, okay. Cause I love people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I realized. I was like, I love people, man. And I want to know what it's like to be all these people. Yeah. So, um, in a way acting is a way for me to connect with people, to be empathetic with people that I don't, I, I may not understand their experience. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can get into their minds a little bit. Um, and I can connect with them on that level. Cause I love people. And I think that's why. Yeah, you've you've uh, you mentioned that people use acting for escape, mm-hmm. but then also expression. Sure. And I think there's a third option that might be somewhere in between, and that's exploration, both of yourself, but also mm. people in general. I think that's smart. Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, I think if you play a villain, I think you wind up in the probably there's some expression there. Sure. And probably some escape, escape sure. from your own morality, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think yeah. there's also exploration, which is literally okay. If I were the, if I gave up my morality, if I gave up my moral code, sure. Or if I was driven by this one thing to the exclusion of all else, what would that look like? I want to explore this. I can't explore this in real life, right? Uh, because then I'll be put in jail, right? But I can explore it here, and I, you know, I, I think you come away from it. Uh, Hopefully, if you're really willing to engage with the character, honestly, I think you come away with, uh, with a better understanding, not merely of yourself, but also other people. Other I people. think you wind up being very, uh, if not empathetic, then at least sympathetic. Sympathetic. To even maybe the worst person you can think of. Sure. Yeah, it, it makes it definitely is the great equalizer. I feel like when you can experience other people's experiences, their mm-hmm. suffering, because a lot of times that's what that's what stories are about. It's about people's suffering. It's about their hardship. Mm-hmm. Um, how do people handle it? What is your initial response? You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. As an actor, it's always a it's always what is the impulse this person has yeah. um, in these situations? Um, so. Anyway, getting to getting to kind of get and it's, you know, obviously the art of creating that person is really the big draw as well. Mm-hmm. It's that building the person or, or yeah. whatever. And I experienced that a lot in Turnaround Jake. I, I feel like being able to really delve into a character, being able to really experience that it wasn't a five liner. It was, yeah. you know, every day for, you know, 13 days or 12 days. I was just this guy 18 hours a day. And. Um, and we'll, and we, we will, uh, I think we'll, uh, actually we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, what were some of the real quick, what were some of the, uh, plays and such that you were in, uh, in high school and, uh, let's say college <laughs> as well. Okay. High school and college boy, high school. I did, um, Oklahoma. Hey, all right. Who are you? 
Will. Oh, okay. Played Will. Right. Uh, so that was great. Uh, let's see. I played Frederick in Pirates of Penzance, okay. which was a lot of fun. I played um, in Much Ado About Nothing. I played Demetrius, which if okay. I could go back, I would definitely choose another character. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I was in it for the wrong reasons uh, at that point. <laughs> I, I actually was in it because I got to kiss people. I get to kiss a girl. So I was like, <laughs> I'll take that part, you know. Um, so, which is terrible. Um, yeah, what else? Yeah, in college, much to do about nothing. So mm-hmm. Senior Benedict, probably my favorite part I've ever played okay. um, in college. Well, apart from some of the stuff I've done since then. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Mr. Rote in... In uh, what is that? What's that one? Wait until dark. Oh, okay. You can't take it with you. I was in that. Mm-hmm. I was in uh, uh, Godspell. You know, okay. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Played Joseph. Um, All right. You know, so a lot of you know, I get to play a, a wide range of people. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like a pretty good uh, array of lead and supporting there. Yeah, yeah. I played. Nice. Yeah, I played some supporting characters. Yeah. Um, Man of La Mancha. I played the Padre. So mm. you know, which was great. Actually, it was really fun. Uh, to get to play that character. So, yeah. Um, so what, uh, from the standpoint of, uh, influences and maybe this is a stack deck. Um, do you, uh, if you were to point to either now or then any actor or even any film, uh, that you feel like, ah, that is what I wish I could be. Hmm. Um, maybe not exactly. I think that happens a lot with young actors out here as they sure. look at, um, like a Jeremy Renner and they say, I just want that. I want to be that. And then they just start acting like Jeremy Renner and it's like, yeah. well, there already is one. Right. So you're not going to get a lot of parts if you do that. Right. But, um, so not somebody to just be, but somebody who's either career you wanted or that type of acting style just really resonated with you. And you say that is that is the best acting can be. And I want to be that. Yeah. Um, I really like, I like a lot of people. I like a lot of the people that other people like too. So I'm not, I'm not super original when it comes to this, but I really like Gary Oldman. Okay. Um, and for a long time I tried to be method like that and I just found it to be destructive for me Hmm. and for my emotions and for my people around me and my relationships. I didn't really like it. Uh, but that's commitment, you know, and there's a lot of people that are amazing actors. Um, that are totally committed, like Giovanni Ribisi and those guys. Um, you know, I really like those those kinds of actors. Um, you know, there's a lot of older actors that I love. Um, you know, Anthony Hopkins and uh, let's see, I really like Philip Baker Hall. I don't know if you know Philip Baker Hall. Yes. Yeah. Here's a fun thing. Okay. All right. Um, and more than one lesson.com listeners already know this. Uh, I recently posted my list of my top 10 lead male performances. And by the time this goes up, there'll be lead female supporting male and supporting female. Cause I've been making lists lately and I'm cool. enjoying myself. Okay. Philip Baker hall made it into the top 10 lead for the film secret honor. Have okay. you ever seen secret? I've never honor? seen it. There's one character uh-huh. and it's Philip Baker hall playing Richard Nixon on a, and he's drunk and he's talking to himself and he's, t- and he's making uh, notes to his secretary wow. and then going off on drunken flights of fancy. I love it, it is astounding. Oh, if you wow. like Philip Baker Hall, that's the one I to do. See. Okay. I need to check it out. And it's him playing Richard Nixon. So there's something that's special even about better. That. Yeah. 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 He was, I was in a movie with him a couple of years ago called mm-hmm. duck. Um, I got to do a couple scenes with him, which was fun. Yeah. Um, it was a real honor for me actually. Um, 
yeah, I'm very humbled uh, to be working with some people like him. So, yeah. yeah, he's fascinating because he 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 runs the gamut. Like he'll sometimes show up in one scene, right, or a or full blown the dude. lead or support or you know yeah. multiple scenes or whatever. Like he's really willing to do whatever it is he needs to do. Yeah, yeah, and there's you know there's the I think that's the kind of actor I'd love to be. There's you know there's these character actors that I'd really like to be. Um, obviously guys like, you know, Christian Bale are just like totally connected and mm-hmm. really good at becoming characters, really good at, um, you know, it, it's funny cause I always kind of want to be, I, I, it's funny. You, you don't get to play all the characters you love to play. Right. Um, but I feel like I'm a character actor. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like a lead. Um, I want to be the type of person that kind of embodies different, different types of people. Yeah. Um, which I, yeah. So, you know, the people that do that, that have a wider range, I, I probably idolize them and it's different performances, different at different times, you know? Yeah. Nick Cage is great sometimes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And speaking so, of a character actor who went yeah. up with lead status, I totally. mean, that's him all over. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, as from last, uh, last week's episode, we talked about, uh, the apostle, which features oh, yeah. my favorite actor, Robert Duvall. Time, Robert sure. Duvall. Um, okay. I should have said him earlier. Yeah, sure. He's, uh, he's so good that sometimes people forget him and that's perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, were there any particular movies that, uh, that drew you to acting or just drew you to art in general? Yeah. Well, early on, okay. 97 or 98, I think mm-hmm. I'm not sure which year it was. Um, when Saving Private Ryan came out, Magnolia, uh, Magnolia was 99, 99 American beauty then 99. was 99. Like all those, those kind of postmodern, well, not, not saving private Ryan, but postmodern films, mm-hmm. uh, like Magnolia, the PT Anderson kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, was really, really impactful for me. I don't yeah. think, you know, it's funny cause God, uh, it's funny, this is a Christian podcast. I, God has kind of made it so that I can't, I can't watch horrible content anymore mm-hmm. at least especially if it's like you know nudity and things like that like that mm-hmm. stuff i can't be around um you know the other stuff doesn't bother me as much um and i have a theory behind that by the way okay what do you got can, which we can talk about um um well it's funny because you uh, you know as like as an artist you know people would say i, I know i've heard people say like things are more acceptable in art than they are in real life, or you can do things in art that you can't do in real life. Um, my thought is that you are the exact same as you are anywhere else. And I think as an actor, um, it's important for us to remember that you portraying someone or portraying some kind of experience, uh, they're cursing and violence. You're always pretending it's always somebody else's lines or it's Mm -hmm. always somebody else's stuff, nudity and sexuality. You're there with the person. Yeah. And we are three part beings, dude. We're mind, body, and spirit. What our body does, our mind and our spirit follow. And I think we've got to be very careful um, with what we allow into our. Uh, that's what I think, anyway. So. Yeah, that's um, something that we've talked about uh, quite a bit on the show, in that, uh, in theory, I don't have a problem with nudity in film. Right. When I say in theory, it's the theory that it will only ever be used if absolutely necessary. That's right. the theory. Okay. In practice, that's almost never the case. Um, there's any. There's a number of films. Uh, my favorite movie of all time is Nashville, and there's a scene where a woman does a, a strip tease. She was not planning on it. 
it wasn't what she was promised. She was brought in to sing and dance, and then suddenly uh, things take a turn, and it's vulnerable, and it's sad, mm-hmm. and it's not meant to, to titillate. It's, it's meant to show the extreme vulnerability of that character. Sure. And I felt like it was done so lovingly okay. that, oddly enough, I was okay with it. Right. Partially because part of me is like, if I'm watching this scene in context... And yeah. I'm aroused by this and I'm and someone could be, but if I'm aroused by this in the context, there's something really wrong with me. Sure. Apparently I am like dead inside. If I am <laughs> looking at this, being well, like, yeah, but that's, that's neither here nor there. And so, um, <laughs> but that's the thing. So, uh, I, I do feel like it's, uh, it's something that I'm, that I'm theoretically okay with. And I think there, I could probably count on, I don't know, one hand, the number of movies I've seen, where there's nudity, right? And I think, all right, uh, yeah, the Schindler's I, List quotient, sure, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. right, you have that kind of, yeah. Well, there's always Schindler's List, right? And, and it's like, okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like um, people are always saying, unless it's Schindler's List, yeah. And so, and I, and I kind of agree, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, unless it's Schindler's List, I feel like, um, you know, generally as Christians, we've got to be very careful about what mm-hmm. we allow ourselves to be doing because our body's writing checks that our mind and our, our spirit are cashing. Hmm. And, um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, we're, yeah. we're three parts, you know, you can't, you can't separate it. We can't compartmentalize, uh, who, who, who we are as, yeah. as Christians. And it is a thing that I, you know, I know that I, myself living in Los Angeles, being a Christian, living in Los Angeles, talking about movies with people. I mean, I do try to, there's part of me that wants to seem like if you'll pardon the, the, the term sort of the cool Christian, the one that, the, yeah. the one that gets it. The one that gets it, you know, yeah. just like I'm a good that, artist. Yeah. The one right. that, that will never offend anybody with, with my backwards views of things. Sure. Uh, and, uh, at some point, um, mm. uh, on my other podcast, we are planning on doing an episode about nudity in film and about, uh, sexuality in film. And, uh, it's something we've been planning on for a long time. Uh, and we actually, my co-host and I plan on having, uh, a woman there as well, because it's usually women and asking, is this something that you know, you find uncomfortable, you find objectifying and all that kind of thing. But nonetheless, there's part of me that is concerned, that's worried about that episode because I always worry about like how I'll come across. Will I come sure. across as backward when I oh. say that it's not something that should be done flippantly? Oh it's man. Certainly not very often. I worry that, but at the, at, at the end of the day, ultimately like, you know, that there, are, there are movies that I've seen that have nudity in them. And I feel like that absolutely didn't need to happen. And so that director is acting that actor or more likely actress um, to really bear themselves and not merely their body, but as a function, I think also their soul and their, emo- and their emotions and that's what yeah. in the doing so. And the to do it so, ca- yeah. co- so casually yeah. is uh, I think a little dangerous. Well, as Christians, our authority is the scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we're looking back on scripture, the scripture takes nudity very seriously mm-hmm. And, um, and so I don't know that, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, the other things you're pretending this one, you're not, uh, you're yeah. not pretending. Um, especially if you're the na- one exception, naked making out with people, you yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, uh, you know, like you're actually doing that. You know, the one exception is, uh, at the end of boogie nights that, uh, that, that wasn't real. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so yeah. So that speaking of okay. PT Andrew, <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, so check this out. I, I was thinking about it. The other t- it's the same thing, mm-hmm. but as Christian, it, it's funny cause we, we kind of give ourselves a buy, I think as, as Christian actors, um, especially now. And I think a lot of my friends are doing that 
Now, listen, no judgments. I know that there's some people that I feel like God has called. They have no nudity clauses. They're doing things that, you know, like I've got a friend uh, that's doing stuff that, um, listen, no judgments at all. But I, I think, I think if we were to be offered a CEO position, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like what you get. Okay. Here's a CEO position of a business. This business, you will be in the midst of all, because the excuse they always say is, well, if nobody else, if somebody else takes it, then there'll be no Christians there and nobody else, you know, right. So nobody, if somebody needs to be there to be a light and I'm saying, okay, okay, let's, let's think about that in another context. CEO of a business. Um, you get to be around all these people. You get to influence all these people in your business. Um, but here's the caveat. Your business is exploiting the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, you will be cheating on your taxes and you have to lie to your customers. Those are, those are the three things you got to do. But if you don't take it, somebody else will take it and right. you won't be able to influence, you know, the VP and all the rest of the employees. So, and that's kind of what we do. And we say, as an actor, we'd say, oh, I mean, if you're looking at it like that, you'd say, absolutely not. We'd never do that as a Christian. No way. Mm-hmm. But as an actor, you're like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I'll go ahead and do that. It's hard for actors. I'll say that. I think because so. Yeah. One could, one could make the argument that the actor is not the CEO, that they're merely an employee. But, of course, they don't necessarily have to take the part. Right. It's like yes that. or no. It's like you can yeah. say yes or no to that job. Um, and I think God cares about us being faithful mm-hmm. a lot more than he cares about us being successful. And there, mm-hmm. there have been people that I know that have turned down major parts mm-hmm. because for a lot less um, because it doesn't, it doesn't illustrate their faith. I've got, I've got one girl in mind. That's like one of my heroes mm-hmm. that had a major break and turned it down because it was like, it was a conflict. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, wow, you're, that's, a, that's profound. And I think the Lord does care about that stuff. Um, he cares way more about our character than he does about our success. Yeah. In fact, mm-hmm. I would venture to say he doesn't care about our success. Hmm. I would say that's not really part of his, his economy. Let me ask you this. Yeah. I just thought of this question. It's half baked. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so uh, you said he doesn't care about success, and I'm not trying to challenge it. It's Maybe more, he changes. here's another question. Yeah, he redefines what success is. All right, here yeah. we go. Okay, we're yeah. headed down that path. Um, financial and professional success, uh, I agree. Um, I think we're certainly more than our, than our job. Our job can be a tremendous. Uh, boon for our uh, spirituality and for and for uh, ministry purposes, but no more than anything else. Right. And so, um, but let me ask you this: in the in the case of being an artist of some kind, what about artistic success? Yeah. Especially, I mean, if if in theory, you know, not even in the theory, if you're supposed to do everything to the absolute best of your ability, if you feel like God has called you to that thing, yeah. If you're supposed to do it to the absolute best of your ability, uh you know, that is a certain type of success that I think he does care about. And then the question becomes from an artistic standpoint, sure. What, it, what, what counts as the best? Well, let's talk about success for a second. Cause sure. I think, I think what you're saying, you're right. I think, I think we need to define it. Then I think the way that the world sees success obviously is, you know, you book the gig, you get a billion dollars, everybody loves you. <laughs> and then, and, and basically a yeah. lot of, a lot of Christians are going, are going, Oh, I need a great platform. I need a great platform right. uh, to preach the gospel. And you know, that scripture kind of talks about if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. Mm-hmm. And if you're not faithful with little, you're not faithful with much. Yeah. And so you don't make compromises on the way. The, the means is everything yeah. um, in the gospel. The means is everything. The end is Christ. Yeah. 
And so at the end is not our, our financial success or, you know, our recognition, our fame, um, our, our platform. That's not the point. The point is, um, what is God asking us to do? Success is defined as obedience in scripture. Um, so if we're being obedient, that's what we want to do. Um, so as an artist, dude, like, yes, be the absolute best artist, be, you know, be as true to yourself as possible, as, as true to the Lord, um, you know, as, I mean, deal with all the issues that you've got. I mean, like, I'm not even talking about, I mean, artists can have content in there. That's like, like Christian artists can have content in there. That's not, you know, that's not directly, if you're dealing with something, that's fine. Just, you know, process it. That's okay. Yeah. Um, like, I'm not saying that, but I, I do think that, um, as an actor, if we're going to be uh, truly faithful to what God's asked us to do, we need to really be careful, mm-hmm. um, and be extremely conscientious about which parts we take. Yeah. What's the end, the end game of those stories? Like, what's the point? Are we glorifying this? Are we not glorifying that? And then I do think you can, you can disagree with me, but I, I think sexuality falls under a different category. Mm-hmm. Um, human sexuality, man, it's important. Yeah. I was, yeah. I, uh, I certainly agree. And it is one of those things that, uh, like I said, part of me wants to be the, uh, the cool Christian who's like, ah, whatever you want to do is fine. But I don't actually believe that. Right. I actually think that there is such a thing as discernment and conviction. Yeah. And so why am I, so why do I instinctively fight against that? And it's because of, you know, wanting to appear just as, you know, uh, yeah. a Christian actor may want to wind up taking a part perhaps for their platform, but also to show that like, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm with it. I'm hip. Yeah, I'm hip. You know, I'm with it. Yeah. The whole I know, thing. The, I know the Macarena, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it's true, man. Well, and, you're uh, absolutely right. And it's, and it is the same for me. So, so um, I love that. I love that you're struggling with that question though. Cause that brings up a lot of stuff for me. Cause I've been mm-hmm. struggling with that question for the last two years. Okay. Um, and so, but I don't know if we want to move into the turnaround Jake stuff yet, but I feel like this philosophical right conversation is really important. Absolutely. Um, and listen too. I mean, like I'm going to, I'm going to, I sound really harsh and I've had some choices to make. Um, so, I mean, I, there are other people that have been offered a lot bigger stuff than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've turned down some small stuff, but I've never turned down anything huge. So yeah. I can't really, you know, but I do think, uh, I do think we've got to be very careful. No. Um, it's a different world, man. So you're telling me um, somebody offers you American Psycho, right? You say no. Yeah, I would say <laughs> probably. No. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I would say no. I do. En- I do enjoy that film, perhaps more than I should. But uh, yeah, no. <laughs> well, Chris, no question dude, about it. Okay, come on, Christian Bale. That's where he like. That's the standout performance. No question about and it. And I yeah. feel like um, oftentimes in Hollywood, that is what ends up happening. You have to have yeah. some standout performance that that you cross all the boundaries in. Um, you're nude, you're, you're, you know, you're ma- murdering people, you're, you're covered in blood, you're going crazy. Huey Lewis. You're, yeah. You're sweet. Yeah. You, you, Lewis in the news. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this album's great, but I really like, I prefer, um, yeah, you know, and you got to kill Jared Leto and I feel like that's and killing Jared Leto is fine. Um, that's all that is fine. Um, sooner or later we all have to do it. I know, man. I know. Even I'm, if it's the, even if it's the Jared Leto inside you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, everyone has that guy, by the way. Can I just say Jared Leto is the man? Okay. 
Like, I really think he is everything. Dude, 30 Seconds to Mars, he's legit. And then, I mean, not you know that what? I love I the band. Make, I feel like I want to make fun of them, but I heard I heard an, a song of theirs. It's not bad. It's good. Yeah. Dude, and he's, you know, traveling the world, being a rock star, and then he comes back and he plays a transvestite, and it's awesome. Yeah. I actually know? didn't see Dallas Buyers Club. Dude, it was great good. things about it. It was great. You know, yeah. if, you're not, if you're a Christian, struggles. But if you're, yeah, yeah. you know, you can still tell that story, I think, um, even without some of those things, some mm-hmm. of those elements. But, um but uh, yeah, it's funny. I sound like a prude talking about all this stuff. I really do. I sound like I do more. like the shorthand. If you're a Christian, struggles. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you were you were going to say something? No. Well, I was just gonna. I was gonna transition because of okay. your. I think you led up to what I've been struggling with yeah, the last yeah. few years. Um, you know, Turnaround Jake uh, is the movie mm-hmm. that uh, we're just coming out with. It's going to be at the Lemley in Claremont this weekend. Mm-hmm. Shameless plug. And. Um, and, it, you know, it's been a long journey, but, but a lot of, cause it was originally just an independent film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had tried to make for the Hallmark channel, ah. uh, because I had some friends over there. So I was like trying to get it out over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the last two years, um, we've realized that the story, the story itself was a Christian story <laughs> mm-hmm. where, you know, we were just being honest with ourselves and being authentic. Uh, and all of us, like what we produced was this story about, it's a, it's a very, very Christian story. Mm-hmm. And so I, but my main struggle was, was the same, was the same struggle you were struggling with, which was everyone's going to look at me like I'm a bad artist. Everyone's going to look at me like I'm cheesy mm-hmm. if we make this Christian. Yeah. And I, I really felt like God asked me, he goes, are you willing to be cheesy? Yeah. And I was like, the answer is yes. You're like, already making yeah. something for the Hallmark channel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope that doesn't, um, oh, give yeah, you no an indication offense. of what the movie is going to be. Everybody. Cause it really isn't very right. Hallmarky. It's very cool. I think, but, um, but yeah, no, I'm, you know, and, and God was like, are you willing to do that? And I was like, yeah. I guess. And he's like, cause I use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I use the, hmm. the, 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 what is it? The, the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he's yeah. like, and I also use the cheesy things of the world to shame the cool. Huh. And, and people come to Christ as a result of some cheesy stuff. Um, yeah. I won't name the film, but there was a film, there was a new, a brand new believer came up to me about a year ago and they were like, Hey, you know, I really committed my life to Christ and you know why? Because of, you know, this film. Mm-hmm. And I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking that's terrible. artwork. you know, that's <laughs> everything about everything that I don't like about Christian, about Christian media. And the funny thing was like, you know, I've never seen the film. I just think, Oh, that's going to be cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um, and dude, it changed my heart. I was like, cause that, to me, that's the only thing that matters. Um, Gosh, man, I'm putting this stuff out there. I'm never going to get work in Hollywood if I say this stuff, but it's true. Don't worry. We do not have much of a listenership, okay, so good, it should be good. fine. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of what I think, though. It's like, you know, I was, the Lord, the Lord literally asked me to put my coolness on the altar, mm-hmm. and really it's the opinions of my friends that I was worried about, because my friends all have the same opinion that I used to have. Um. And I still do have, I mean, I really care about the quality of the film, right. which by the way, um, turnaround Jake is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, and it isn't cheesy, but it is Christian. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting. And, and we were talking before, um, about, we were talking before we started recording and you said something that fascinated me about, uh, the making of turnaround Jake. And you mentioned it already that you, you said you didn't set out to make a Christian film. 
Like you did not say, all right, we're going to make a film that's going to save souls. <laughs> right. Now what? <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't that. Right. It was, I want to make a movie and here's the story. And don't get me wrong. The nature of the story is there are Christian themes in there, yeah. like redemption and that sort of thing, but it wasn't overtly Christian. Mm. And then as you were watching it, you felt like there was something missing. After about a year and a half of watching, you know, different edits and kind of like honing it and honing it and honing it, finally we realized we're like, dude, there's there's something missing. And and what the thing that was missing was is that Christian scene. Yeah. That scene where the guy really comes to Christ. It's the literal turnaround. Um, which I hate to hate to give away anything, but like, you know, yeah. um, it's that moment where the character has an authentic you know, this, uh, this authentic moment where he cries out to God because everything sucks in his life. And, um, and it's funny cause we had the premiere, which was awesome. Um, very, very cool. We had about a thousand people there and it was just, they were like laughing and crying. It was fun. Um, but I asked all the non-Christians over there, I'm like, so what do you guys think about that scene? And they were like, that was the best scene in the movie. They were like, this is the one it totally was necessary. It was the scene we needed. And that having not seen the film, I was, as you were telling me about it, I was so fascinated because we've, we've spoken on this show before. Um, you know, we've talked about fireproof and courageous and uh, blue like jazz and God's not dead. And the thing that we always have a problem with, I have no problem with, in, again, there's theory and there's, pre, there's execution. Right. In theory, I have no problem with a conversion scene. Just last week, when we talked about the apostle, Walton Goggins' character sure. comes to Christ, and it's amazing. Right. It's a, it's a great It moment. works perfectly. Or, dude, even Lemez at the beginning of Lemez, oh, yeah, exactly. Hugh, Hugh Jackman is yeah. my sin, you know. Amazing repentance scene. Right. Yeah. And it's so, like, it can be done. It has been done well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the thing is, and why I'm excited about it in your film, and again, who knows? Maybe I'll watch it and I won't like it. Who's <laughs> to say? You know, I want to I wanna leave yeah. that option open. Yeah, totally. But already I'm encouraged because. I feel like those other films and I, you know, again, it's, they've done their good and they, and they have their moments and that's fine. But clearly the people ma- who made them said, okay, the one scene we know we're going to have right. is the conversion scene, at least one. Right. That's the one we know we're going to have. And in, so in some movies it's let's have three and let's have four. Exa- yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, just in case one didn't t- doesn't take right. for the audience. Right. And so, they start with that and work their way outward. I, right. There's a, there's a, uh, the Sklar brothers, there are a couple of comedians and, uh, they have a special and they wrote a joke about, uh, uh, Lance Armstrong and it, and the punchline is like really cheesy. Uh, and, and it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good joke. It's a funny joke cause they're professional comedians and they can sell a joke, uh, <laughs> but it's not the best joke in the world. Uh, but then they actually, Turn that where the line itself is not that great, and I won't repeat it here. Uh, but you realize, oh man, that was a lot of buildup just for that line, really. Right. And then they followed up with, "We wrote, we wrote that line and then worked outward." And right. I just thought, okay. that's exactly right. And the fact that they called attention to it—that's where the humor actually came in. Strangely right. enough, not the joke itself. And so uh, <laughs> that's really an interesting parallel. Yeah, and just yeah, and that's the thing is so. I feel like you can almost always tell when it's like, all right, we've got a message. And there's nothing wrong with the movie having a message. Uh, Every movie has a message. What? <laughs> we'll get into that in a moment. Um, but uh, 
they, they either have a message or they have their one scene and they're like, all right, here we go. And they work out from there. And you can tell because every yeah. other scene feels inferior. And yeah. it's building to that, not the way a movie naturally builds to an organic climax, right? but the way that somebody who is just killing time until they get to what they really want to say. Yeah. And yours is the exact opposite. Right. And, and that's the thing about Christian media generally you're talking about is that they don't start with a story. They start with a message, and um, which is the honest and authentic way that Christians approach life. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. Um, it does create sentimentality yeah. in art. It doesn't create the best art. It creates art that's very sentimental. I mean, mm-hmm. not to throw anyone under the bus, but there's certain painters out there that just make. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yes, I do. it's like that only in movies. Yes. And so, you know, it's about, you know, this is moms a, are a big fan of this painter. That's exactly right. And it's always like, this is a painting about light. Okay, great. <laughs> okay. Then we've got, this is a movie about light, you know? And so instead of it being a movie about a story about a person, mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing about turnaround Jake is that it is a movie that follows an authentic story uh, of a person. And one of the things that people kept saying that I thought was really cool, cause I was, you know, you, you don't know mm-hmm. how these things are going to turn out, but, yeah. um, they kept saying, man, that just wasn't cheesy. Mm-hmm. None of it was cheesy. It was just an honest story about a guy, about a real guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so cool. Um, that makes me happy cause that's what we wanted. And what is the film about by the way? Uh, it's about a young businessman, um, in Los Angeles that, um, that pulls a bunch of shady deals. Like he, he mm-hmm. basically inflates some numbers so that he, they can get a contract. Okay. The SEC picks up on it. The FBI picks up on it. Um, and so they come after him. So they freeze his bank accounts and he has to flee. So he goes back to Texas mm-hmm. uh, where he hasn't been for six years and um, goes back to Texas. All this stuff has happened since he's been away. Nobody's mm-hmm. really talked to him for, cause he's been a real jerk. He's been yeah. very narcissistic and focused on his job. And so he doesn't know anything that's gone on. And so he realizes that he has a lot of choices to make because of what's happened. All these things have implications for his life um, that he didn't really plan on. So he uh, ends up having to go back home, figure that stuff out, figure out and make a choice about what he needs to do, mm-hmm. what the right choice is, and will he make the right choice? That's the that's kind of what it's all about. Um, will he do the hard thing? Will he do... You know, and what's he going to do to go back? How's he going to get out of this thing with the SEC? That kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. it's um, it's a you know, it's a story. It's a it's a redemption story. It's a it's a fa- it's a story about a family yeah. um, that uh, that has been splintered, you know, by some stuff, mm-hmm. and um, that needs that needs uh, reconciliation. That needs to be brought back together. And it's, you know, it's just a very human story. It's a very like now story. It happens all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. the incorporation of, uh, well, corporations yeah. of, uh, you know, uh, somebody doing some shady greed. dealings. Yeah. And, yeah. It's like, very, it's very current as far as that goes. It's greed. Yeah. The economy's down, like that kind of stuff. People are having a hard time finding work. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the backdrop of the whole thing. And this guy's just living, living high. And that's no. you. You're the you're the lead of this film. Yeah, I'm Jake. All right. So I played Jake in Turn Around Jake. <laughs> All right, there you go. Yeah. Uh now uh tell me a little bit about uh 
sort of the making of the film, mm-hmm. uh, because you are certainly very personally invested in it. Did you co-write it? Are you one of the creative forces behind it, or did you sure. show up to act? No, I'm not a I'm not a writer, but I was a, of this film. But I was a I was definitely part of the creative force. We had a team that came up with the story, mm-hmm. and um, we all got together. But Sean Svoboda. Uh, who is one of my other producers. We have three producers, executive mm-hmm. producers on it. It's me, Robbie Wiltsey, and Sean Svoboda. And uh, Sean was our writer. Um, and he um, took our story and made it come alive. So he he wrote it um, and came up with a lot more story elements that we wouldn't have come up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a basic storyline. Um, so, yeah, so he took it and made it, made it what it is. Okay. Um, and we all kind of had input, you know, but he was, he would bring it back to us and we'd, you know, give him our criticisms and then he'd go back and he'd write and he'd lock himself in a room and he became one of those pasty people that forgets how to have conversations, you know? And so then Robbie did that same thing when he was editing and, you know, he's our cinematographer and, you know, executive producer, cinematographer for two years, you know, and he becomes Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel and he's, you know, he's like, my back hurts. This sucks. You know, everything is terrible. And, you know, and then, and then, you know, at the end of it, you know, he's got a really beautiful piece of art. And, um, and so anyway, he's, he's a great guy and he's young. He's like 24. Oh, wow. So he's a really, he's kind of a young genius. Um, anyway, so we're, yeah, so it's been a, the, the creative uh, process was definitely collaborative. Um, when we set out to make the film, I was more interested in collaboration mm-hmm. and um, finishers. I wanted to find finishers. Yeah. So that's what I was looking for. I was looking for that quality where people will actually follow through and finish this. Um, now, was this a... That's the thing is I, I feel like I, I found out about it fairly late. I think it was finished by the time I found out about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, so in its origins, was it a was there a, was there a Kickstarter involved? There was for post. So okay. we had um, we had we had raised money for our um, initial production, uh, and in our ignorance, in our like naivete, because we have never made a feature before, mm-hmm. and I've made shorts before, but I've never made a feature. Um, I forgot about post. We didn't really raise money for post. Hmm. Uh, we ca- we thought, okay, well we'll leave ten grand for post, dude. Not even enough. So mm-hmm. that was probably where we ran into our biggest snag, um, was that post sound, like, you know, the color editing, that kind of stuff. Robbie was, uh, fairly skilled at, but, um, the whole sound thing was a whole new universe. So we definitely had some issues there. Um, but we finished, you know, yeah. it's, it's definitely there. Um, and there are some notable actors in it. Most yeah. to me, most notably Mr. Blonde, of course. Yeah. Uh, Michael Madsen. Yeah. Michael which, Madsen. Uh, is I again I haven't seen the film I've only seen the trailer he's very briefly in the trailer yeah and uh he looks great he does I, he's great I, he has a, he has a way about him that it with the right kind of dialogue he can seem like the most naturalistic actor in the totally. world totally um just very laid back and just very in the moment yeah uh, and just even the the bit that I saw it looked like I would enjoy him tremendously he yeah, looks like he had- a pretty pretty bad guy kind of totally he's uh you're uh, your evil boss it sounds like he is he's a greedy evil ceo which yeah. is so funny none of us are like you know down with corporate america or anything it's funny we wrote the story yeah um but he's a greedy ceo and he um he has this energy dude like when and when we were when we were filming he seems like an intimidating sort you know dude he was actually extremely approachable mm. Very, very cool. And um, loved working with him. Uh, he's actually, he, uh, you know, you hear stories, yeah. which 
you know, when, as soon as we booked him, we heard all these stories, dude, these horror stories about him showing up on set and locking himself in a bathroom and hmm. like demanding $15,000 in a paper bag and a bottle of Jim Beam, you know, like that was, <laughs> you know, so we were like really nervous, but he showed up, dude, and he was on it, dude. He had his lines down. He was, um, he was extremely humble, mm-hmm. which I was so excited about, you know, like we had really good conversations. We even had conversations about the Lord, hmm. um, because he was so... He was so, um, he was just not that. Yeah. He was just, well, you know what though? It was interesting. He's like, when I asked him about that, he just says, you know, the only thing that matters is, is God and family. That's it. You know, he's like, you think everything else in life is going to be mean something, but it ends Mm -hmm. up being meaningless. Hmm. He's like, it's just, he's like, it's embarrassing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know? So he's, it was like listening to Ecclesiastes. Um, but he, but he, um, he was great and he was so good for us yeah. and he had so much energy on set. I mean, everyone had to raise to his level, you know, he was just like, he had tons of energy. There was the first scene he came up, dude, he was dropping F bombs every other word. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny. Cause I pulled him aside. I was like, I was like, Mr. Manson, <laughs> I was like, this is a family movie. I was like, I don't think we can. He's like, ah, F, you know, like, <laughs> right, right. You know? So, oh, so, so in the scene. Yeah. It was, doing, yeah. He's okay, like, so he's improvising. A yeah. He was bit. improvising a yeah. ton, dude. Like, yeah, he, he improvised all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Whether it be, a Christian film or the intended Hallmark audience. I don't think Michael, uh, Michael Madsen just blown it out of the water like that is no. going to fly. It wasn't super. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. So anyway, so he was, he was great though, man. We were, we're big fans. And when we called him up, he was going to come to the premiere, but he was in like Morocco or something. Um, but, uh, he actually was like, I'll work with you guys again. I'll work with you anytime. That's great. Which was very cool. Cause the set that we created, we tried to create a set where everybody was, um, included. We tried to, yeah, yeah we just tried to be, we prayed every day and, um, hmm. there were a lot of non-believers on set. So we were just like, Hey guys, look around. These are your people, you know, look out for everyone else before you look out for yourself, create a, you know, create an environment where you're, you're looking out for other people and, um, yeah, these are your foxhole buddies. We're going to be in the foxhole together. So let's let's love each other. Let's be the best we can be, and and then let's pray. So we pray, and, and so every day we kind of set that tone, and it created the best environment, dude. Like we yeah. we had a great environment on set. And you shot it over what sounds like two weeks, just over. Yeah, just over two weeks, two and a half. That weeks. Sounds very stressful. It was extremely stressful, very and busy. eighteen hour days. There were moments where all of us were just at the end of ourselves. We we're shooting at like two in the morning. And, um, I popped one night. It was stupid. Um, Sean has forgiven me since, but, um, <laughs> but it was just like, you know, we all lost it at some point and, um, yeah. you know, it's, we were just exhausted, man. It was like a, you know, it was insane. I can't even explain it. And the, uh, so it takes place in Los Angeles and then in Texas, did you shoot the Texas stuff here? Yeah. Okay. Well, there was a farm out in Chino. Oh yeah. Uh, so we shot out that at, at Aunt Amy's farm, okay. uh, which is really cool. And, you know, we shot some of the other stuff. We shot some, you know, some of the footage at our church, a lot of the footage at our church in Pomona, yeah. which, you know, some of the buildings are terrible. And so it was great because it's <laughs> okay. supposed to be, and it's an inner city church anyway. I mean, we, we're right on, you know, Holt and Gary in yeah. Pomona and, um, which is where all the prostitutes are and where all the drugs happen. And, oh. and so, and it's a great church. It's a great thriving 5,000, 6,000 member church wow. in the middle of the nice. heart of the city. And it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And we shot, we shot a lot of scenes there. Yeah. So shot Pomona for Texas, which everyone's like, really? <laughs> you know what? So. Here's the thing. When, when Pasadena can pass for 
the, I believe, fictional Haddonfield, Illinois, right. in Halloween, anything can happen. That's exactly and by the way, there are palm trees in Halloween. That's but funny. no one ever notices. That's funny. Like that's how much you just kind of. That's like bungalow heaven it. or something on yeah. Halloween, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so funny. Um, so real quick, uh, we should probably near the the end, but I do want to talk about some of your other uh, work experience here in Hollywood. Cool. Um, whether it be short films or features or whatever, and so, and you told me something before we started recording that I thought was very interesting and that I did not know about you is that Hmm. you do a lot of voice work. Sure. Um, Some of my experiences, I mean, a lot of the bigger stuff I've done has been with voiceover. Yeah. Um, You know, I do loop group sometimes, uh, which is great. Uh, That was paying the bills for a while. Um, Loop group for a lot of Hallmark movies, but then I did done a few big ones. Uh, This movie called Pathfinder with um, Carl Urban. He played a... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I did all of his breaths and efforts and screams and battle cries and things like that. Okay, for the uh, movie. Yeah. this is an empty house. Yeah, uh, can you <laughs> yeah. give can you give an example? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Wilhelm scream or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, um, yeah. So we do. Uh, I did that and Youth and Revolt um, okay. with Michael Sarah. Um, just voiceover stuff for that. Some background stuff. This you, last week, I did I did a revoice for Hayden Christensen. I was going to ask yeah. about that. I wasn't sure if I was allowed to ask. Yeah, I think um, it's I don't I didn't have to sign an NDA or anything. Hey, all right. Yeah. Um, and so they couldn't get him in for ADR, so they're like, "We need a sound alike," and I'm a good mimic. Yeah. So I just went in. And, what does this? Okay. Here's what's fascinating about uh, mimicry and doing impressions. Uh, I, through Battleship Pretension, I, I've known uh, some voice guys who specifically do sound alikes and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and they say what's interesting is that everybody sounds like something. Some pe- like Jack Nicholson, very distinct. Al Pacino, sure. very distinct. Yeah. But then you get somebody like a Tom Cruise who doesn't seem very distinct, but then when you when you lock into it, you yeah. realize, oh my gosh, that couldn't be more it. More Tom Cruise, yeah. And so Hayden Christensen is one who, uh, I guess he does have a very specific way of speaking but you don't think of it he doesn't have he's not yeah. sylvester stallone um, no 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 but he he has a let's see if i can remember something that he said uh, i usually you know, it's like i all right we're gonna it's like usually you're johnny on the spot with this sort of thing you know like it's that kind of that's stuff which solid that's really good yeah and so it's funny because they auditioned a bunch of people but um you know and they had something for me to copy yeah. so i just did that and i copied it and wow. you know, and then, you know, I do that. I've done that for Malcolm McDowell, which was weird too. Cause mm. he's got like this extremely low voice. Yeah. Um, I did that for, I've done that for a few people. Um, just, you know, voiceover when they can't get them in. So, you know, it's fun. Wow. That yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. And oh yeah. And that's an aspect because I mean, you know, that stuff isn't really listed on IMDb, right? Like you're no. not going to be listed as uh, miscellaneous all, yeah. crew. Usually. Oh, miscellaneous crew. Yeah. That's okay. usually what it says. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're the voice of Hayden Christensen. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we're not going to say that. Yeah. They probably wouldn't. <laughs> they probably yeah. play that down. I kind of hope that you know, it's funny because with Hayden, it's this movie called American heist and he, is with Adrian Brody, but they have their mouths covered a lot of the time because mm. uh, they have you know masks on. Yeah, and so that's pretty cool. Wow, that's very that's <laughs> so very exciting. Had to do it with a mask on too. <laughs> so it's like ah, you know, <laughs> it gets you out of here. You know, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, that's. Uh, I always like when when somebody has a very specific type of job in Hollywood, like actor. Everyone knows what an actor does. But this and it's and voice actor. Everyone knows what a voice actor does. 
uh, and you've done that as well. Mm -hmm. But this is something very specific that I feel like most people, including me to a certain extent, didn't really know existed, that there's right. people who come in <clears throat> and basically just do somebody's, vo somebody's voice that we're already familiar with. Just, right. Oh, boy. Hollywood is such a sham. It is. It's all just a big old <laughs> sham. Uh, you know, it's funny. Though, we, I do loop as well, looping, mm -hmm. which is eight people in a room filling in all the background vo vo vocals, I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, but that that is the most fun because okay. it's all just... It's dude. I mean, it's just improv all day. Yeah. So you get in the room with you know. I get to sometimes I get to work with this guy Nick Guest, who's Chris Guest's brother, hmm. and he's just genius, dude. He's such a good improv guy. Um, and you would guess. I mean, Chris Guest, obviously, oh, yeah. but um, you know, same timbre, everything, same sense of humor. Just an amazing dude, and um, so fun. And I got this. I got a couple other people that you just you just bounce off of all day long. You're just mm -hmm. making stuff up because they don't give you scripts. Yeah. You know, you just got to be the people in the cafe or you got to be the people that are like walking down the street or the guy that's screaming because his guts are falling out. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's awesome. Like it's, it's like, that's the most fun you can have. Yeah. yeah it's like absolutely. improv with a purpose, you know? Yeah. And it's a pretty safe space. I'm sure you don't oh, have yeah. to worry about anybody being like, nah, that's not quite right. Well, sometimes. Uh, well, yes, yeah. I'm you sure get into screaming it. in a cafe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you, I mean, you get guys that are just like, you know, they make stuff up and it's hilarious, dude. Like some yeah. of the stuff they say is just so funny. You have to keep yourself from laughing. Um, all right. Well, that sounds, that's, oh, that's very exciting. I love that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we, and we should wrap up. So what I will, what I will do, it's been a while since we've done uh, an interview like this before. So, uh, so I will, uh, I will ask you this and, uh, and feel free to repeat yourself if you like, okay. or something all new. All right. Uh, if there was a Christian, uh, male or female who, wanted to come out to Los Angeles to pursue yeah. acting, Mo perhaps movies in general, but let's stick with acting for the time being. Uh, what advice would you give them either artistically or spiritually or whatever? Like what, what would you tell them they need to know and need to keep in mind? Um, it can be more than one thing if you like. Well, as a Christian, mm -hmm. that's primary. Yeah. Your foundation has to be, the Lord and the scripture, mm -hmm. you don't deviate from those things. And, and God cares about your character far more than he cares about your success. Mm -hmm. So don't buy the lie. Yeah. I would say it's just like anywhere else. It's just more exciting and more glitzy. Yeah. And the, the and even the glitz. Yeah. The is, underbelly uh, always there. Yeah. The underbelly is a lot darker too. Yeah. And so, um, I feel like I've known people that have come in and, been Christians compromised like crazy and just been broken shells of people afterwards yeah. um, because they knew they shouldn't have. And then I know people that have come out here, been pursuing it for 25 years, have really done nothing. Yeah. Um, and so it's a crapshoot. The question you have to ask yourself is, is the Lord really asking me to do this? What am I really called to be? Mm -hmm. Am I really called to be an actor? And is that doing anything in the world? Yeah. Um, or am I called to be something else? Am I called to, because my guess is acting is not for everybody. Fame is really not for everybody. In yeah. fact, I think it's probably of the devil. <laughs> I really do. I don't think. It does seem to adversely affect basically everybody. Everybody. Success is way harder than adversity Yeah. Uh, in a Christian's life. Um, I think mm -hmm. getting success, nobody's prepared for that. And 
So I would say you really got to know, like as a Christian, the problem is most people that come out here are pretty flimsy. Mm-hmm. They don't have much of a, of a solid foundation. Yeah. And then so, you're going to, I mean, for any, in any number of ways, when you move out here, it's just nothing but challenges. Well, yeah. And it's like, it's like any other thing that you do in life. It's, you're a missionary where you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the primary focus. Um, your art doesn't even matter as much as your character. Yeah. And so I feel like, um, the Lord, let the Lord do what he's going to do in you. Be embarrassed. Let him be, let him humiliate you. Get all the crappy stuff out. Be honest and vulnerable. Know yourself and know the Lord. Cause a lot of people try to know God. They don't really know themselves. And that's when they end up screwing up because they don't, they know they're not capable. I mean, they don't know they're capable of all the sin that they are capable of. Oh my, of. yes. Yeah, so I don't know. So I would think as a Christian, you know, know God first, realize that's your heart. And then um, from there as an actor, mm-hmm. you know, do the, try not to do anything. <laughs> don't overdo it. <laughs> oh know? yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying like on screen or whatever, what I've realized is you just got to try to do nothing. Yeah, the camera's really close. Yeah. You don't have to play just, to the back row yeah. anymore. You don't have to play to the back row. You just got to... You know, say your lines, breathe normally, <laughs> you know, like if the emotion comes great, if it doesn't, who cares? You know, like it's not a big deal. Just say your lines and the story will let people read into what you're thinking. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's uh, what is that? The Kuleshov effect? The oh. idea that uh, from a film, it's a film thing where uh, they showed a guy's blank face looking down at something and they cut to a gun and then everybody said, oh, that guy looks so scared. Then they would take the exact same expression, right? Cut to uh, a bowl of soup, right? Oh man, that guy looks, that so, looks so hungry. hungry. Yeah, and it's one of those. It's an old. It's an old experiment. It's fascinating. It's yeah, fascinating. it is fascinating. Well, David Mamet would agree, and it's heresy if yeah. you're if you're talking about Stanislavski or something like that. But oh my, yeah, yeah. Just say your lines, man. Don't worry about it. Now, admittedly, <laughs> don't destroy your life. Bring up David Mamet. <laughs> David Mamet's an odd director of actors. I think he is because. Too. You watch American Buffalo, you watch Glengarry, Glen Ross. Those are different directors, yeah. and I think they get better performances than when Mamet directs himself. himself. Um, though, of course, you can't, you can't argue with Joe Mantegna. He's amazing. Yeah. But anyway, so that's true. neither here nor there. Um, yeah, and uh, from a practical standpoint, I will say this. This has come about uh, recently in just some people that I've talked to. Um, if you're a Christian, you move to Los Angeles, uh, I would say find a church, but even more specifically, uh, find a Christian community that you can interact with whether it be a small group within a church or whatever, yeah. uh, that is imperative. Well, yeah, be, be in community. Yeah. Always. Don't go out on your own because you won't make it. Yeah. You won't make it spiritually. Yeah. You may make it in other ways, but you won't make it spiritually. And that's probably, I think that's probably true anywhere, but I think people tend to, yeah. we, I think they emphasize Los Angeles, New York, and like the big cities, like, oh, it's so easy. To, it's like, yeah, if you're in a small town and you're not part of a community, like that's not good either. You're, no. You're never going to make it on your own. Well, and find a place that emphasizes um, a real relationship with God, the mm-hmm. indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and biblical authority. Yeah. That's what I would say. Don't don't be a social gospel person. Yeah. It doesn't work. There are uh, there are a lot of churches uh, in Los Angeles, and maybe elsewhere as well. I, I know elsewhere, um, that, uh, that really emphasize, like, they, they've managed to really infuse the LA mentality with totally. yeah. Christianity to the point where ultimately it's like, yeah, just throw out the stuff you don't like. Exactly. And, and I think that's damaging. And when I say social gospel, I mean, yes, the gospel is social. It will affect, but if you, it will affect the world around you, you will serve because mm-hmm. the Holy spirit indwells you. 
you will be compassionate towards the poor. You will do all those things and that's all good. Um, but it's got to come from, it's got to come from the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. It's got to come from biblical authority, but you know, it's a scriptural base. Yeah. And, um, and you've got to continue to grow in your relationship with the Lord. And here's the other thing I would say, growth doesn't come through age. It doesn't come through knowledge, especially because that, that just puffs up. It comes through obedience, growth and maturity in spiritual matters comes through obedience to the Holy spirit in your life. And if the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something and it lines up with scripture and it lines up with your community and all those things, then walk in obedience. You will see God. God will reveal himself to you. It's like John 14. Mm-hmm. So John 14, you know, God, Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving. This is the way it's going to be. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Obey me. Obey my commands. And my Father and I will come, will we'll reveal myself to you, and we will make our dwelling with you. And that's what you need. You need mm-hmm. that. That's the very heart of being a Christian, the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit. I'm crucified with Christ. Not I live, but Christ lives in me. That's the most important thing you can know. And all this other stuff is vashtika. <laughs> <laughs> and let, let God do what he's going to do. You know, like your success is in his hands. Mm-hmm. It's always in his hands and it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, that's something that I, uh, again, we do need to end, so we'll, I'll, we'll, we'll finish up with this, but, uh, yeah, that's something that I've come to really realize is we have this idea of, well, if God loved me, this is what my life would look like. Mm-hmm. I would be an, I would be an unbelievable success in this. Totally. Uh, my marriage would look like this. Totally. And certainly there's an ideal for what your marriage should be, but you're also a flawed human being and it's never going to look exactly like that because as it turns out, you're both flawed, you know, you're married right. to a flawed human being as well. Right. Um, but, yep. and just like, and we have this again, like you were talking much earlier about means and ends. And so often we tend to view God as a means to our end. Right. Instead of uh, vice versa. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's Psalm 73, man. It's like, why, why do the wicked prosper? Why am I seeing all these wicked people prospering? Why do they have such great lives? Everything's going well. They're always healthy and my life sucks. Yeah. And if God really loved me, he would do this, this, and this. And that's because people don't understand what yeah. the gospel is. You know, God, the gospel is the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we get suffering because we become Christians. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's what brings it on. It's because God's honing our character. He allows yeah. those things to happen. I mean, the crappy thing is when you, God, you know, in Romans one, that's the, that's the wrath of God. It's God removing himself mm-hmm. from your life and it leaves you to your own devices. And then, yeah, maybe you do get success. The worst thing God can do for you sometimes is give you what you want. Yeah. Um, cause it'll break you. <laughs> it'll you know, destroy you. That's, uh, that's something that, uh, as, as I think we talked about, uh, on the show, when we talked about the dark night, one of the things that makes the Joker so scary is mm-hmm. that, He's us, whether it be Nicholson's Joker or Heath Ledger's whatever, um, he's us w- with the good things removed. Mm-hmm. He's, he's himself literally give, he's giving himself to his own devices all the time. Right. He's pure instinct. He's pure in, yeah, impulse. And, yeah. So, and, we, and so many people act as though like, oh, it's just Christianity is such a bunch of rules and regulations. And it's just like. It is more than that, certainly. But you said like obedience, like freedom, like freedom to comes with obeying these things as opposed to shedding them. If you shed them, you will, you could eventually wind up like the Joker or, or, uh, Anton Chigurh from no country for old men, another uh, movie we talked about. And so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And ultimately it comes back to, it does come back to obedience and scripture and something bigger than you, Yeah, you know, and 
if it's something bigger than you and you acknowledge that it is a, I'm, I was about to, I was going to say benevolent force, a benevolent force called God. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to get uh, new agey there. Yeah. Um, then, and if you, if, and this is a thing that I have trouble with is, is like really acknowledging the goodness of God. I know he's good, but I, I sometimes feel like he doesn't care about me specifically Sure. and that he just kind of will steamroll me on the way to his will. Yeah. Um, and but I have to remind myself, a friend of mine said, you got to preach the gospel to yourself totally, uh, amongst others. And so, yeah, anyway. remember the prodigal son, you know, oh, yeah. and how the father reacts to both sons. He pleads with the one. He runs after the other. That's the father. That's yeah. Jesus illustrating the father. I have to remind myself of that too. Yeah. And it's, you know, and that's the thing about the prodigal son is he doesn't treat each one. The same. He loves them the same, yeah. but he treats them differently based on who they are. He right. doesn't expect different things of them. No, but he treats them differently. And, you know, right. Again, God is the same. You and I are different. The way he deals with our specific lives will be different. Right. But he, but he still expects the same of us. Absolutely. I want to make sure I don't want to get relativistic. That's not not my goal. (laughs) No. But anyway. uh, Okay. So we're going to wrap up there. Jared, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, listeners, you can go to morethanonelesson.com. You can find all those lists of uh, great performances that I made at 3 a.m., um, sometimes 4 and 5. And, uh, yeah, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and all of that. And then where can people find uh, Turnaround Jake? Turnaroundjake.com or the Turnaround Jake Facebook page. That's mm-hmm. really important. Go there, like it okay. uh, if you can. Uh, that, would, that helps us a ton. Yeah. Also, um, Jared Lemaster at Twitter.com. Um, slash or twitter.com slash Jared Lemaster. Yeah, that's, that's how, that's how it works. Okay. Uh, and, um, you know, you can follow us there. You can follow me on Facebook, whatever. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sounds great. Once yeah. again, thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, thank you everybody for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye.